Welcome to Frightfully Uninformed. I'm Martin. And I'm Melinda. I'm Lenny. We're a couple of movie fans who don't really get why some people are so fanatically devoted to horror. We're on a mission to watch scary movies, starting at the beginning and moving through the years however the hell we feel like it. Please be warned, we will be swearing and spoiling up a storm. Today's a very special day. Today we have our very first in-studio guest. Hi, Lenny. Hey, Martin. How are you doing? I'm all right. We previously discussed what our background in horror movies is and the kind of movie watchers we are. What about you? What's your experience with horror movies? I am a lifelong massive horror fan. I was six years old. One of the first movies I can remember seeing in the theater was Return of the Living Dead. You should be ashamed of yourself. Yeah, my parents should. What's your favorite horror movie? Dawn of the Dead, I would have to say. For nostalgia's sake. The original, the 70s? Yeah, the 1978 version, I believe, where we would rent it from the video store. What a slice (laughs) of the past we're dealing with here. VHS tapes, Jesus Christ. Yeah, you either chose VHS or Betamax. They didn't even rent Laserdisc back then. You had to buy those. You had to have money. (laughs) You're only a handful of years older than I am. Today we are watching... Back to me. (laughs) (laughs) Today we're watching 1931's Frankenstein, directed by James Whale, based on the novel by Mary Shelley. This movie stars Colin Clive, Mae Clark, John Bowles, and Boris Karloff. Let's talk a little bit about what we know and what we expect about this movie. I read the book in high school, and I remember liking it. I don't think I've ever seen a Frankenstein movie other than Young Frankenstein. But I feel like I've seen clips or pictures of the Frankenstein monster. It's in my consciousness. Other than that, I mean, I'd say most of my impressions are from the book and then just pop culture. My expectations aren't super high just because I know it's so old. Is it silent? I think this will be our very first talkie. Oh, thank God. I really hope so. I'm getting a little worn out on these silent films. I hope it's good. How about you, Lenny? What do you know about this movie? I vaguely remember watching it when I was probably about eight or nine. And the only scene that really sticks is the little girl by the pond. That oh, with the is, flowers. Yeah. and, and he's seen that. You're thinking of a Mice and Men when he shoots Lenny. No. Not you, Lenny. The other Lenny. <laughs> <laughs> Lenny with the bunnies. John Malkovich. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the only scene that really sticks out was the little girl. And I remember being worried that he was going to like rip her to shreds. But I have very low expectations because it's so old and there's way too much hype built up around it. I am going into it, appreciating it for what it was at the time that it was made. I kind of have the same experience as Melinda. I've never seen this movie, but I know what the monster looks like. I can imagine key scenes. This thing has been parodied and referenced so many times over and over and over and over that I'm sure every single frame is going to be familiar to all of us. I hope it's scary. I'm looking forward to something a little more effective than the movies that we've been watching. I hope I'm not let down. Who can say? All right, let's find out. we're back. We just finished watching Frankenstein. Melinda, do you want to start us off with a story summary? Sure. This iconic horror film follows the obsessed science Dr. Frankenstein, played by Colin Clive, as he attempts to create life by assembling a creature from body parts of the deceased. Aided by his loyal, misshapen assistant, Fritz, played by Dwight Fry, Frankenstein succeeds in animating his monster, played by Boris Karloff. But, confused and traumatized, it escapes to the countryside and begins to wreak havoc. Frankenstein searches for the elusive being and eventually must confront his tormented creation. Dun dun dun. Uh, Yeah, that's an effective summary, I think. (laughs) 
Before we get into talking about the details of this movie, do you want to hear some trivia? Yes. Apparently, Borlas Karloff, before this movie, was pretty much an anonymous actor. So much so that he was not invited to the premiere by Universal. For his own movie? Yep. Because they just figured, like, oh, he's just the monster. Who cares? I guess so. That's mean. (laughs) Oh, it gets meaner. Oh, no. After bringing the monster to life, Dr. Frankenstein uttered the famous line, Now I know what it's like to be God. The movie was originally released with this line of dialogue, but when it was re-released in the 30s, censors demanded it be removed on the grounds that it was blasphemy. Mm, Instead, they put a loud thunderclap over that line. Oh, interesting. Okay. According to a film historian, the director James Whale was so jealous of the attention that Boris Karloff was getting as a monster. During production, he took revenge on him by making him carry the actor Colin Clive up the mountain to the mill like a dozen times. That was really him carrying him? Yeah. Oh my God. Clive felt bad for for Karloff and he suggested that a dummy be used but the director refused and Karloff continued to carry his six foot tall 150 pound body up and down the mountain. So it actually does sound like it's more of a personal grudge because if he was already doing that during the production he already didn't like the guy so maybe that's why he wasn't invited to the premiere. He had the grudge against him. He gave him his DVD copy of the grudge. (laughs) 150 pounds at six foot is pretty scrawny. It's pretty slim yeah. So Boris Karloff's shoes weighed Apparently 13 pounds each. Shit. Boris Karloff was only 5'11 when they shot this, so I don't know what they did to make him look taller. Maybe he was wearing big platforms in his shoes. I really couldn't tell. The shoes. There was definitely something going on with the shoes and big shoulder pads and I think some kind of extension on his head. He had a head extension. Yeah. He had a head extension. He had platforms on his feet and a platform on his on head. On his head. I mean, because he really did look super tall. He was much yeah. taller than anybody else. As part of the makeup process, Boris Karloff had his partial bridge work removed. So the monster had the sunken cheek look. Oh. The only other person I could think of who went through such lengths was Jim Carrey in Dumb and Dumber when he had his cap on his front tooth removed. The things that everyone calls bolts on his neck are really electrodes. Oh. You know, I didn't even notice that. The bolts? I didn't notice that. This movie was banned by the state of Kansas. Kansas requested that the studio cut 32 scenes from the movie, which would have cut the runtime in half. You would think it'd be some place in like the deep south of Kansas. Sasha Baron Cohen was always being threatened to get arrested in Kansas. Must be something weird in Kansas. And the last piece of trivia I have here, during the lab scene, you know all those pieces of equipment that had the arcing electrical bolts coming off of them? Yeah. One of them was a real Tesla coil made by Nikola Tesla. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. While I was watching that, I was wondering if it was something that they did post-production where they just scratched the... Negatives? The negatives the films to, yeah. to make it look like there was electricity? I thought it looked like a practical effect. I thought that it really looked like those were electrical toys or contraptions. Do you remember that one thing that looked like a circle and it had white sparks shooting off of it? Yeah. That thing was really shooting sparks and pieces of hot metal out. Oh. Boris Karloff was sitting there with his torso exposed, getting burned by the little sparks of metal that coming off of that thing this guy is like a method actor no he was he was a starving actor he did look like he was starving yeah this was his first big role this also wasn't part of the trivia but apparently the reason he was cast in this movie was that he was in the commissary eating lunch and the director just came up to him and invited him to go to the casting call as he is completely unknown so <laughs> unknown he wasn't even invited to the premiere and Karloff was kind of pissed off because he thought like he was wearing a tuxedo when he thought he was looking really handsome and the director <laughs> he's like hey you're fucking ugly why don't you come be ugly in my movie the same director that later had a huge grudge against him yeah so he didn't like him from like first sight i guess not i guess he just saw this guy and wanted to destroy him so now that that's out of the way let's talk a little bit about the actors and their performances 
Starting at the top, we have the star of this movie, Colin Clive as Henry Frankenstein. I liked him a lot. He was really handsome and dynamic. I mean, the perfect Frankenstein. You know, it's interesting because I think in later, more modern pop culture, we sort of see Frankenstein as like a mad scientist with the sort of Doc Brown crazy hair. Big or like, floppish hair. Yeah, or like hair. Einstein kind and of. And this weird thin mustache and an insistence that he be called Frankenstein. Yes. But Colin Clive was like tall, dark, and handsome. He was great. Yeah, he had that typical Errol Flynn leading man yeah. look that most of the uh, black and white film actors had. I liked his range in this movie. Yeah. I like that when he was a professor, he was crazy. He was off the wall and wild-eyed and screaming to the heavens. And then when he was back at home, he was much more calm. I mean, I never really saw him as crazy. I saw him as frantic, overtired, at his wits end. I don't know. They kept calling him crazy, but I just kept thinking, is he really? What do you think about Elizabeth, his fiance? You know, as per the usual, these female roles are not very interesting. I will say this, though. She was actually a little bit more of an independent thinker than I would have suspected because, like, she demanded to go to the tower. She had opinions. She went and saw her husband before the wedding. She was really beautiful, and I thought her voice kind of reminded me of Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. She had that same over-pronunciation accent. You mean the screen actor voice? Yeah, it was a little, what do they call that, non-regional dialect? Kind of like, yeah. But I I mean, I liked her. She was kind of the way that Kate Blanchett sounded in The Aviator. Yeah. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) What'd you think of Elizabeth? Oh, I thought she was very blah. I thought she was pretty. Yeah, you know, Melinda actually did bring up some good points about her being an independent thinker. I think she was very pushy as far as like, I'm coming with you. I don't care. And then Dr. Frankenstein's friend, who obviously was into her, just gave in. But yeah, I mean, they didn't really throw important roles to women. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I thought that she had an interesting role. I thought that she actually brought something to the character. And it was way more dynamic and way more fleshed out than the other movies we watched. That's true. I felt like she was surprisingly assertive. Well, it was the 30s and flappers were in vogue. So she would be a little more independent, a little more pushy. Oh, her clothing was gorgeous. Oh, great. Here we go. It was. Did you see the detail of the beating on her dress? Yeah, some fine beating. It was. How were the buttons, on that though? train. I didn't notice enormous. the buttons. Oh, the train on her wedding dress. Were there dress. buttons on the train? But you know what else makes her kind of an independent thinker? She's marrying this, like, freaking wild scientist. That can't have been a popular choice. <laughs> I don't think he was maybe, like Martin said, I, I, I don't think at home he was that wild. It was just... That's true. He was just super obsessed and frantic and crazy in his lab while he was trying to achieve his goal of reanimating an assembled corpse. Well, plus, he did start out in medical school, which is very normal, and a lot of women want to marry doctors. That's not medical school. He started out studying electrobiology. The sign on the door said medical school. No, it says medical doctors with a background in hard sciences. <laughs> no, you know who was you know who was really blah was his friend Victor, played by John Bowles. This guy was blank. This guy didn't do shit the whole movie. He was so boring that he was annoying. He was a little annoying. Yeah. The only thing he did that was notable was that he kind of made a pass at Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. Well, even before he made the pass, I was thinking, this guy wants to bang his friend's girlfriend. This guy just wants to get her wet. Ew. <laughs> and, and yet, I didn't notice any of this. I just thought he was her friend. Oh, how nice. He's like, hey, yeah. can I interest uh, you in, in a little tip? <laughs> you could you could tell like he had stronger intentions. And he's like, okay, I'll go check on him. Well, she did tell him, I don't like you that way. Yeah. He said something like, I wish you had those type of feelings towards me. Something like that. And she was like, well, I don't. <laughs> 
And she slammed the door in his face and he was out there just whimpering no, and stroking himself. to send him out on an errand and he did it. And she went with him. She demanded to go with him. Okay, now it's time to get serious here. What did you think of Boris Karloff's performance as the monster? I thought he was pretty awesome. I can see why it was such an iconic role. An iconic character? Yeah, an iconic character. I mean, most of my comments would probably be about his appearance because in terms of acting, there's a few emotions that kind of flicker across his face. But other than that, he's kind of just like moaning and grunting and stomping around. And I feel like that's not that hard to do. But his look was... Amazing. I mean, partly the makeup and the costume and his way of moving. I don't know. I mean, I thought he was a perfect Frankenstein monster. I disagree with your assessment that it wasn't hard to do. Frankenstein basically had two modes in this. Either he was raging or he was like blank, like a reanimated monster. And I don't think that's necessarily very easy to do. I think especially if he's creating this performance off of very little. I think he did a great job. I think his early portrayals of the monster as the sunken cheeks and the barely open eyes and him stumbling around was very well acted. Yeah. I thought it was great. The part that I didn't appreciate as much is when he was raging, when he was flailing his arms around or tossing people. I guess what sort of took me out of it a little bit is I did not like the moaning, groaning noises that he made. I thought they were kind of dumb. If he had a deeper voice, that would have been a lot better. Give it some grit. And the last guy on our list to round out the casting is Dwight Fry playing Fritz. I think it has to be said that Fritz is actually what we commonly know as Igor. Yeah, Fritz is Frankenstein's assistant, which in pop culture now we think of that character as being named Igor, but it's not Igor, it's Fritz. Yeah, and... He's not Eastern European, he's fucking Swedish. He looks like Igor, he's got the hunchback, the kind of ratty clothes, he's dim-witted. Extremely dim-witted. I don't know where he picked this guy up, he was probably working for free, I'm guessing that was like, (laughs) that was the appeal of this Assistant. This guy is obviously his intern trying to earn college credits. <laughs> and he's not opposed to some of the more nefarious activities. College credits. I mean, interns have to go through a lot of shit. Yeah, that's Unpaid. true. And he did have like a really despicable demeanor. Like you really wanted to not like him. He was mean. He was mean. He had Didn't a mean little mean. face. And you know who he reminded dumb. me of? Carl Pilkington. <laughs> When he's tormenting the monster, I'm like, this is totally something Carl Pilkington would be doing. No, Carl Pilkington's a lot more passive than that. I agree. I've never seen him do anything mean or aggressive. If he was more aggressive, he would totally be jabbing the monster with a stick. He's like Carl Pilkington if he was a hybrid with Ricky Gervais. Ricky Gervais. Gervais. Because I could totally see Ricky Gervais doing some of the nasty stuff that the Spritz guy did. And giggling like a monster. If if he were in Carl Pilkington's position. You know, what's funny, though, is I was reading about it because I was trying to figure out what is up with Igor, where, why isn't he Igor? And then it turns out there was no Igor even in the book, apparently. They said Frankenstein had no lab assistant. Yeah, I couldn't remember if there was in the book. Yeah, and then they said Igor was actually used in later Frankenstein films. The name Igor was. Son of Frankenstein was when it first popped up, I think. It's a pretty awesome name. I mean, it sort of fits the guy. So now let's play a quick round of fantasy casting. Lenny, since this is your first time on the podcast, why don't you go first? I am going to start with the monster. Originally a question mark. Yes. I am now. Played by question mark. Played by question mark. I changed it to exclamation point. Yeah. This is going to be typical, and I'm just going off of intimidating appearance, height, chiseled gladiator helmet-looking face. Okay. Uh, Vinny Jones. Ah, oh, that's a good pick. Who's that? 
Gatch and Snatch. Bullet Tooth Tony. Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. He was in Gone in 60 Seconds. He played Sphinx, the silent guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Nice. Uh, for Elizabeth, I am going to go with Amanda Seyfried, just because also appearance and just kind of like blah, expressionless <laughs> face. Very pretty, though. I think Amanda Seyfried's a really pretty girl, but she never really has any kind of dynamic roles, and she would slide right into Elizabeth's role. What about Karen and Mean Girls? Yeah, that was dynamic. She could fit her whole fist she put in her, her mouth. She fist in her mouth. Okay, yes. Duh, she was a mouse. She was playing a teenager. Anybody can be dynamic <laughs> as a teenager. Put me in a teenager role. I'll sag my pants and I'll Tell bleach that to my Josh hair. Josh Hartnett. Yeah. Tell it to Drew Barrymore. Never been kissed. <laughs> for uh, Henry Frankenstein, I originally was going to pick Jude Law oh. just for heartthrobby, you know, looks and stuff. And he does have like huge eyes, so he could be really expressive. Him and Amanda Seyfried can just make eyes at each other the whole time. The whole time. They don't even <laughs> talk, they just shine at each other. But I ended up having like a really quick change at the last minute, and I thought, yeah, he would fit and he'd be good for the role. But somebody who would really switch it up and bring a lot more to the role than just good looks would be Simon Pegg. Oh, wow. (laughs) Oh, wow. I just thought he would be awesome, but he couldn't have his dopey comedy demeanor. No, he can actually act. Yeah, I would want him to be a little more serious. Interesting. Yeah. He was in Band of Brothers. He was, and he he was was fucking hilarious in that. Yeah. Yeah, well, there was thinking, nothing hilarious in Band of Brothers. You didn't watch Band I of Brothers. I hate Band of Brothers. You just hate brothers. I don't bands. like wars. Yeah, but I think Simon Pegg would like because I was picturing the "It's Alive" and you know I know what it's like to be God scene. Yeah, I feel like he could do that. I think he would be really awesome at it, and he's got like big enough and crazy eyes, and he could probably. Man, you're really fixated on these eyes. That's what it's all about. For Fritz. Got a wild card casting. Ooh. And when I was thinking of Fritz and thinking of somebody who could play a really despicable character but still be funny and but hateable, Ken Jeong. <laughs> As Fritz. As Fritz. But have him grow like some scraggly facial hair, you know. Um, Do you have a pick for Victor? Uh, I don't. But if you want me to pick someone for Victor, I would have to say. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, wait. Let's make this interesting. Pick somebody out of the movie Ocean's Eleven for Victor. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, Scott Conn. Oh, fuck. I knew it. I knew Scott Conn. Yeah. All right. He seems like a douchey guy that would try to steal your girlfriend. All right. Nice picks. Melinda, you want to go next? Sure. So, for Victor, I cast Michael Fassbender because... He, he's the fastest bender. I don't he know is. who he is. Magneto. Oh, he's Mike Magneto, he's the British Magneto. guy, the hunky. Yeah, he's hunky. So yeah, Victor's attractive. Like he, I mean, this is going to be like a better part, obviously. Not only do you recast these movies, but you rewrite them. Gritty remake. Next, I've got Fritz, and I've cast Eldon Henson. Does anybody know who that is? Nope. Okay, in the new Netflix Daredevil series, he's what's his Foggy. Foggy. You guys both cast that part on looks. Yeah, no. I mean, I think he can act. He was also in Hunger Games. Okay. Elizabeth, I went ahead and stuck Mini Driver in there because you know what? Who fucking cares? You're such a misogynist. She's fine. Okay. <laughs> Next, I've got the monster. El Monster. Funny you should say that. I've cast Javier Bardem as the monster. Wow, good pick. Yeah. I'm pretty proud of that. <laughs> I am impressed with your choice. And Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein. 
Actually, I'm not sure he was a doctor in this movie because he fell out of medical school. But he, never anyway. got his, he never got his degree, right? <laughs> medical school dropout, Frankenstein. Yeah. I put Ethan Hawke because I was trying to cast based on two things. One was the it's alive scene. And one was I was trying to picture a guy who would be like a convincing scientist. I feel like Ethan Hawke can do both those. I mean, this might be like one of his best roles, but I feel like I've seen him yell. I've seen him become sensitive. I feel like I've seen him driven. I think he can do this. And I like his look. Ethan Hawke has the look of like a dumb animal, like a dumb dog. What? I'm sorry, but he does. He just, he looks vacant. Yeah, okay, let's see who you cast. What was important to me for casting Henry was I wanted a guy who could do both modes of Henry. And by Henry, he means Frankenstein. Somebody who could be crazy and off the wall, and somebody who could also be, like, civilized and calm. So I went with Guy Pierce. So Jude Law. Oh, Guy Pierce. Okay. Took Same me a second guy. to get there. I blanked out on his name. I couldn't picture his face. I like that. I think he can do it. Yeah. For Elizabeth, I agree with you guys. It wasn't much of a role, so I cast somebody based off of looks. I casted Virginia Madsen. <laughs> Specifically, Virginia Madsen from The Prophecy. She would be good. Now, for Victor, I wanted somebody who was slimy. I wanted somebody who was a little less than trustworthy. Swarthy. Kind of snake-like. You couldn't necessarily trust him because that whole business with the fiancé really upset me. So yeah. I casted Jude Law. Oh. Which is Lenny's casting for Frankenstein. That's funny because he's like a known philanderer. Mm. You know who else would might have been good? It was Adrian Brody. Oh, my God. He could have been Frankenstein. Yeah. Mm. Moving on for the monster... I had an original choice, but I'm going to give you my final choice first. I casted Edward James Olmos. Specifically, <laughs> for young skin. Edward James Olmos. Like American me, Edward James Olmos? Maybe a little, even a little earlier. I think he could pull it off. Obviously, the height's an issue. But no matter, I mean, unless you're casting somebody purely based on height, it's going to be very difficult finding somebody who can bring something to the role. But I almost casted Dave Bautista. <gasps> Whoa. Who's yeah. that? Drax. From Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, the reason why I didn't cast Dave Bautista is because of my choice for Fritz. I think this guy could do it. He definitely has a cruel edge. And he's also foreign. So the foreignness could add to the dim-wittedness because the characters don't understand him so much because he's foreign. He played the role a little differently. So I wanted Jimon Huntsu for Fritz. <laughs> And the reason why I changed that is because they're both in Guardians of the Galaxy. I was considering changing Fritz, and two of my other choices were Nick Frost <laughs> and Simon Pegg. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. I had a feeling the way you reacted to his. I was just waiting to for that. To my Jude Law and my Simon Pegg. So, Frankenstein. This movie opens up with a very strange opening. Some guy walks out on stage and gives a Haunted Mansion-style warning. He says that this movie casts an aura of foreboding. No, what he says is that this film's very frightening and you've been warned, motherfucker. I thought that was actually kind of a fun way to get you scared before the movie starts. Yeah, it was innovative. I was wondering if that was like a well-known personality that people who went to the movie might have recognized him or something. So right off the bat, this movie's black and white, and this is our first talkie. Thank God. It's about time. It Last really week's is. movie didn't really count. No. So the first scene of the movie, Frankenstein and Fritz are spying on a funeral. After the funeral leaves, they go up and they dig up this freshly buried corpse. Yep. And they strap the coffin to a donkey cart and they cart it off out of town. And on their way out, they chop down a mysterious guy who's hanging. What was the deal with Fritz? Why was he afraid to climb the pole to cut the rope? Because he was I think a simple. He just thought type. it was wrong. 
He didn't want to go up the pole and Carl Pilkington didn't want to climb Machu Picchu. So people of simple minds just don't like going on high things. And what's strange too is the cemetery scene there like hiding behind a tombstone that is pretty much like right next door to where the service is going on. Not to mention that the coffin took a long time to be buried. So they were just hiding behind it Hardy Boys style for the entire time the thing was being buried. And then when they go to unbury it. They, unbury they, it. <laughs> when they go to. when They, they, they right click and then click on unbury. <laughs> when they go to exhume the coffin there was three shovels there and then they have one shovel sticking into the pile of dirt and then two shovels there was a third man yeah he was from the movie the third man he just walked over from that set onto this set on the grassy knoll like lenny said they cut this corpse down but frankenstein goes and examines him and says no good the neck's broken that means the brain is no good yeah so they need to get a better brain Frankenstein presumably sends Fritz off to the local college to see his old professor, who's giving a lecture on brains. Conveniently. They're in the brain section of the course. He's got two brains out on the counter. He's got a normal brain and a dysfunctional brain. And he's giving this lecture about, like, look how this normal brain, notice how it looks like this, and the dysfunctional brain looks like this. Because he's a criminal, you see he's got deeper grooves in here and here, and this fucking ridiculous junk science. This is why we have global warming today. Phrenology. Exactly. So the dysfunctional brain is a murderer, and you can tell because the folds in the brain form little knives and skulls in his... (laughs) I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. I don't either. Clearly, they thought there was some type of connection between... uh, The structure of the brain and the behavior. behavior. That is sort of a big theme. The class was kind of strange. I don't know. The skeleton bounces up and down once, and they oh, all freak out. Oh, that was so distracting. Out. They do they freak just, out? I didn't notice that. No, they're is just laughing. they were laughing? Okay. Everybody was just cracking up because the skeleton bounced up and down. And then the doctor is like, I'm going to leave these two brains here for you to examine. And not one person walks over to examine the brains. They're just they like, They got to get out, out of there because they have to go see Dr. Jones. He hasn't graded any of their papers, and he's been <laughs> off finding the fucking Holy Grail. <laughs> so class lets out. Everybody filters out of the room. This is when Fritz sneaks in. He goes up and he grabs the normal brain and then he gets scared by the bouncing skeleton and drops it and shatters it yeah and then he goes back and grabs the dysfunctional brain and just walks off with it you know what i was really surprised by at this point is how closely this movie resembles young frankenstein yeah holy shit it was really similar this is abnormal i mean it could have said abby normal but other than that i mean it was really really similar to young frankenstein it was it was i would say all the way up through maybe at least half of the movie. It was almost the same. You know what was stupid, though, is Fritz grabs the human, the normal brain, takes the lid off the jar, walks out, drops it. Then he goes and grabs the abnormal brain, the criminal brain, and leaves the lid on and then makes his way out. It's like, why did you even Well, he learned the- from his mistakes. He put the lid on the second time. This guy's incapable of learning from his mistakes. He's a buffoon. He's a Ken Jeong. A real Ken Jeong type. It says it in the script. <laughs> yeah. Total Simon Pegg type. He's a real... Eldon Henson type. (laughs) (laughs) So then we get to see Frankenstein's fiance, Elizabeth. She's at her house discussing... What's going on with Henry? Her fiance, Henry. And she's talking about this with Victor. Yes. I was confused at this point. Because isn't the name of the character Frankenstein Victor Frankenstein? Yeah, I was really confused too. And I thought maybe I just wasn't following it correctly. And I thought, oh, Henry must be this other guy. And Victor is the, the scientist trained to create a human. But no, they're, they're sitting around gabbing about it. You find out that they're engaged. And since they announced their engagement, Henry Frankenstein has been shut off in his lab, completely removed from the world, not allowing anybody to see anything. Mm-hmm. 
And he's gotten weird. He's starting to turn into a shut-in, a hoarder. Yeah, and she's she's really concerned, and I think she's trying to convince him to go, like, check on him. And it's also something really weird in this scene. It's funny because me and Lenny both picked up on it, but Melinda did not. Oblivious to it. Is that... You see, basically, Victor makes a pass at Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. She says something about her affections for Henry, and he says something like, I wish you had those affections for me. And she just kind of stares at him blankly. But at the end of the scene, we get where we need to go. Victor goes off to talk to Henry's old professor, and Elizabeth says that she's going to come with him. So they go to the college to the, the cranial professor, and he's talking about Henry as a student. He was his brightest student. He was studying, and I quote here, chemical galvanization and electrobiology. <laughs> Doesn't electrobiology just sound like a dance album from the early 90s? Yeah. The old professor tells them that they were studying basically reanimating dead tissue. Normal he thing. was. He was. Henry was. They both were. That was what their department was doing. It's the reanimation department. What? Henry left because he was not satisfied with the quality of samples that they were getting. And that he would do whatever he had to do to get high quality samples. Digging up corpses, cutting down hanged people, and I don't know, maybe even killing people. Which, by the way, was a very common practice to procure corpses for medical schools. The famous guy, H.H. Oh, H. Holmes, Peg. like, oh, yeah, he would you know, renowned as like the first serial killer. That was essentially his business was killing people to sell them to medical colleges. So we go off to the lab. We see Frankenstein and Fritz working in the lab, which is an abandoned watchtower, apparently. That's what they said. This set looked amazing. Yeah. The crazy angles, the way that this building looked like warped. It looked like a knotted tree. The walls were slanted and the support beams were asymmetric. That was a really cool set for his laboratory. Essentially, like, the perfect set for this Frankenstein story. So the professor, Elizabeth, and Victor, they all decide to go storm Frankenstein's lab. They go in, they knock on the door, and Fritz tells them they can't come in, and then they demand to be let in. They're downstairs beneath the lab, and they're talking, they're arguing with each other. They're saying that they have to see Frankenstein, or they have to stop what he's doing because it's crazy. He gets offended by the yeah. way that they're belittling his work. He says, oh, you think I'm crazy? Come on to the lab, I'll show you how crazy I am. And it just so happens that he was in the middle of the pivotal moment with his experiment. There's a huge thunderstorm, a lightning storm outside. Yeah, and it's he needs raining. 1.21 gigawatts to animate the body. Yeah, and he's he's done the calculations and he's determined that he's going to get the exact perfect moment during this storm. So they all go upstairs and he's presenting this figure on his medical table. The body is strapped down to the table, and they raise it up into the night sky, and presumably it gets hit by a lightning to animate the body. It was an interesting scene. I found it exciting. The most interesting part about the scene was, I think, the way that Calvin, I don't know what his last name is, Coolidge? Calvin Coolidge was acting. I thought the the way that he was coming unhinged. Yeah, Henry Frankenstein. The way he was coming unhinged and the way he was yelling at people. That part was was interesting. I like seeing this guy act. The actual animating of the monster was a little lackluster for me. What'd you think? Colin Clive, the guy who was playing Henry Frankenstein, was, I think, a fantastic actor. He really was dynamic and intense. And there were a few shots of just his face. And you could see this crazy look in his eye. He was great. They've got the body that he's recovered and sewn together on this table. And it's this iconic Frankenstein animation sequence that you see in cartoons. And Well, it's sort of like that, but that's what I was surprised by, that, that there was seemed like there was something missing from this. And all the years that you've seen it in cartoons and referenced on TV shows and whatever, I feel like they built upon it. And I expected something a little bigger in the key moment. Well, yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. So, you know, everything's following this scene that you know. They've got him on the table, they're cranking him up, and they're 
raising him into the ceiling. There's the lightning flashing and all this stuff. But essentially what happens is he gets him up to the top of the ceiling and then he just counts to 10 and lowers him back down. There's no big thunderclap. There's no lightning strike. Yeah. And maybe part of this is just they didn't have the technology to create this effect. I don't know. I think maybe they didn't have the sensibility because just a big flash yeah. or a loud sound would have been enough. You know, that we left out the part where he explained to them that he's capable of doing it. And he says, I was reanimating animals at first. Oh, yeah. And then I had one human heart reanimated that lived for three weeks, that pumped for three weeks. Yeah. Another thing that I forgot to mention about this movie is this is the first movie that we've watched, not counting the walk-in movie, that looked... I mean, the last movie looked more like a movie, but this really took it farther. The very first scene, the camera's panning over faces. There's handheld camera shots. There's... I mean, the camera moves around. I think there's some dolly shots in there. We're finally into the era of modern filmmaking. Yeah. And the film quality, this thing was well-preserved. There weren't any damaged areas. It wasn't like Nosferatu where they destroyed all but one copy of the movie or whatever. It was crystal clear. And the audio was pretty darn clear, too. When we watched Phantom of the Opera, or when we watched some of these other movies that have a little bit of audio incorporated, it's been very, like, warbled and kind of sounds like it's underwater, but this was clear. It was the same method. They used a vitrophone or something like that, which is basically like a a large phonograph, and they played it alongside the movie. Yeah. It was the exact same method. I think just because it was a more popular movie, maybe it was better done. It was five years after Phantom of the Opera, but only one year after they tried to do the talk version of phantom of the opera well how did they record the voices no idea they must have done it in a studio or something like that i don't know because the sync was right on the audio was crystal clear especially when after succeeding in animating his monster frankenstein shouts out now i know what it feels like to be god oh yeah this is like the pivotal moment where he starts screaming it's alive well he starts out really soft actually he said it's alive like maybe eight or nine times 12 times okay well he you know he said it a number of times yeah you know it was awesome i got goosebumps during that scene that scene pretty much just ends abruptly i don't remember how it ends and then we go to elizabeth and victor talking to baron frankenstein frankenstein's dad and this guy is totally pissed off this guy is an old curmudgeon he's really upset about everything that his son's doing he's upset that he's up in the watchtower that he's not at home that he's doing these science experiments this guy's just got something to say about everything so he basically at the end of the conversation find out that he's going to go up to the watchtower and bring his son back home for his scheduled wedding and it sort of sounded like the wedding like date had already passed by a couple days and the whole village was waiting for this wedding to occur which i thought was a little bizarre it was a long time ago in a small village what do you think frankenstein family's role is in this village because he is called baron and i don't know if that's a name or a title baron will own large sections of land that's what I was thinking, that yeah. he was the patron of this village or that he maybe owned a lot of the property or he directed the commerce or he owned a factory or something like that. I felt like basically like he owned the town. Yeah, and like maybe, he ran the town. maybe the people that live there or work there pay him a percentage or something. Or like he owns the company and everything has to be bought out of the company store. Something so all like their that. clothes say Frankenstein and they buy a can of beans and they're Frankenstein beans. Frankenstein <laughs> Inc. And they owe their soul there. They buy sausages and they're Frankenstein Frankenfurters. So back up at the watchtower, Frankenstein is discussing this whole endeavor with his old professor. The professor reveals to him that the brain stolen from the laboratory was a criminal brain. Henry Frankenstein's like, oh, well, who cares? A brain's a brain. Yeah. It just brushes it off. It's at this point where we get to see our first glimpse of the monster. He tells him that the monster's been in darkness for days ever since it was reanimated. We heard the monster stomping up the steps and he's like, he's coming! And the monster opened the door. 
The monster opened the door, then turned his back yeah. to the doorway. He reached behind him and opened the door and then back through the doorway. Yeah, I thought it was strange that he was walking backwards. It was kind of like watching like one of those uh, plastic surgery makeover shows. With, with a dramatic reveal? Ba- yeah, and he <laughs> had a dramatic reveal spun around very slowly, and then you see the face and the sunken in cheeks, and it was pretty dramatic. It was really cool. You were kind of like anticipating it, and you were excited, like, all right, let's see this, you know. This was the moment when I started to feel some sense of dread from this movie. I mean, the animation scene was exciting, but it wasn't dreadful. What was dreadful was when the monster was walking around and he was directing him and trying to give him commands i started to get the sense that like yeah this thing's really alive and they don't understand it and they can't control it that gave me a very uneasy feeling as well it kind of started when they mentioned he'd been kept in darkness all i could think was if you gave birth to a baby and just kept it in seclusion it's just not a very compassionate approach I was also taken aback by the way this monster looks. They really did a good job of making this guy look like a reanimated corpse. Yeah, I was really struck by that. I mean... The open wounds on his face, the cut along his jawline. The pallor of his skin and the way it's sort of... It was sort of droopy. And the sunken cheeks. This guy looked like he had been decaying. Yeah, like he had started to decay. I thought it looked great. It was excellent. The makeup was excellent. They're doing light exposure therapy for this guy. And things go sideways. The monster starts flipping out and Fritz shows up with a torch and the monster really loses his cool. This was a crazy ass scene. This is the monster's first time like out being of exposed his- to fire. Out of seclusion, they've just shown him sunlight. He was sort of confused in awe of the sunlight. And then Fritz comes running in like a bull in a china shop with a freaking torch that's a flame. And the monster is terrified of the fire. He does not react immediately, to say the least. And at first I couldn't figure out what was happening, but it looked like Fritz was tormenting him and teasing him with the fire. No, he totally was during this scene. The doctor even told him, Fritz, get that torch out of here. Yeah, and he he pulls it away and then he he brings it close and shows it in his face and then pulls it away what's funny is the doctor never tried to stop well the, things the escalated quickly you know i mean he was taunting him and the monster was becoming more and more enraged and scared so he was moving around a lot and it sort of just got out of control really they, quickly they ended up tackling him and they take him down to the basement and chain him up which was also horrifying because you've got this brand new creation and he's just had several unfamiliar experiences and it just became horrible quickly and to solve the problem of his physical size and his moving around too quickly, they chain him up. Sounds like you've got a lot of sympathy for the devil here. I've got a lot of sympathy for this creation. It's sort of like if you look at the monster as a child, you don't punish a child for getting scared. I guess, but I don't think it's fair to look at the monster as a child. Maybe it isn't, but because he's a new being and he doesn't have world experience or life experience or everything's new to him, I I do. I just sort of look at him as like, yeah, like the mind of a child or an animal. The movie, I think, is taking this position that the reason why the monster's fucked up is because he has this diseased criminal brain. So it's not like he doesn't have life experiences. It's not like he doesn't have a point of view. It's not like he doesn't have consciousness. He does. It's all in the brain. Frankenstein dismisses it and saying, it's just another piece of flesh. But it's not. This is the thing dictating his actions and his thoughts and his personality. So it's not like he's a newborn child. He's a guy with foggy memories, with with the foggy disposition. But deep down, he's got an evil criminal core. You know, I could see it that way. but Like I, a Ben and Jerry's flavor, criminal core. 
<laughs> I almost feel like the movie itself was taking a different stance. It was making a different commentary. So like the characters in the movie thought that his actions were because of his bad criminal brain. But I think that by showing you sympathetic moments with the monster, the movie was sort of asking you to take a look and see, is it because of the way he's been treated or is it because of his bad brain? Nature versus nurture. Lenny, we need a ruling here. What's your take on this? I'm assuming that the brain is like physiologically leaning towards having more violent tendencies, but I don't think that it has the same tendencies as the original owner of the brain. I don't think that the criminal... Use brain, one owner. Yeah, like (laughs) it's kind of like it's still going to have a violent tendency, but it is not going to have any kind of foggy memory of the original guy. I think maybe there might be some kind of reset button. Well, that's interesting because they did say that the brains are physiologically different. He pointed out like this one has grooves, this one doesn't. So, okay, there's something different about the brain well let's let's talk a little bit about nature versus nurture because one way or another you can't argue that this monster is if not evil then definitely dangerous definitely i think he's dangerous absolutely he's dangerous he's killed multiple people in this movie you could call him violent but is he violent because he has a diseased brain or because of the subject of his early treatment that that abuse that fritz was laying on him would i think that would have a very strong effect on a guy like this and then chaining him up in the darkness all of it and and they're not treating him like a person in any way they're treating him like a mangy dog now i would say like a well-groomed dog They're treating him like, oh, they just don't care about him. Yeah, Melinda, what about the suit? A a mangy dog would not wear a suit. That's true. But it's sort of like the experiment was over for them once they created the life. They were like, oh, good, we're done. Now what? You know what I thought is that the experience was over at that point. Why bother trying to parent this Frankenstein monster just like the doctor wanted to do? Just dissect him, review the studies, and publish it as a scientific journal. Who gives a shit about the creature? The accomplishment was in the act. Yeah, I guess I would be okay with that, except that didn't appear to be their plan. Like, they're keeping him around, and they didn't have any... Well, they, they need the proof when they publish the journal. They're they going to do they, some they, big unveiling. That's like, true. They probably wanted behold. to show him off. But it's like the doctor put so much effort into getting this experiment to work that he never thought about the after. So let's get back on track here. After the monster throws his temper tantrum, they chain him up in the basement, and Fritz is down there torturing him. He's shoving the torch in his face, and I think he's whipping him, too. Yes, he was whipping him. Frankenstein shows up and admonishes Fritz for being such a dickhead, and then just leaves him with Fritz, and Fritz goes right back to torturing him. Yeah. And big fucking surprise... The monster it turns the tables on him and ends up hanging Fritz with his own whip. Which I was actually really happy he did. Things go extremely sideways here because this is the moment where everyone decides to show up to take Henry away from his lab and take him back home. They convince Henry to leave. The professor says he's going to wrap up the experiment. And what he's going to do, he sedated the monster and he's going to keep him under sedation while he dissects him. This is, I think, where the true scientific value of this experiment is, is finding out what happened, why it happened, and trying to recreate it. Yeah. But things don't go as planned. The monster wakes up mid-operation and he kills a professor. Yes, he grabs him by the back of the neck and kills him. Uh, Elizabeth and Henry are back home and they decide that they want to get married. So they force the whole town to throw together this five-star wedding at the last minute. The dad's given some stupid speech about how he's proud to be a Frankenstein or some bullshit. Who cares? Yeah, the bear and the dad. It was so annoying. The weird thing about this scene is that Victor is Henry's best man. Yeah, that was a little surprising. He's the worst best man ever. 
what the fuck is going on here? Like, this guy doesn't know anybody else? Who the hell is this Victor guy? Well, it does seem like it was a small town. They had this weird extended scene where the dad's giving this toast. With wine. Yeah, with with this wine, this special wine that was his grandfather's wine that his grandmother never let him drink. In this scene, he gives all his guests wine, and then he tells the butler, he says, (laughs) give the servants champagne. This wine's wasted on them. That's true. That was really funny because they they showed the butler pouring all the champagne glasses for the staff. And there's this one like chunky lady on the end who just downs it all in one gulp. Yeah, everybody takes one sip and puts it back on the tray. And she takes a sip and then her eyes go wide and she downs the whole thing and then (laughs) goes back to work with a buzz on. I wanted to follow that character for a little while. I did too. That's what I would have done. I'd rather have champagne than the wine. Yeah, that wine sounded like it'd be like musty and weird and homemade wine out of like a bathtub. That's Maybe what that's I was what it was. Maybe it was bathtub wine. I think it was. They're Toilet all pulling wine. little bits of soap scum out of their teeth. During the big wedding celebration, Frankenstein is off stumbling through the woods. He stumbles upon this little girl who's playing by a lake. And she has absolutely no fear of this guy. She was just the sweetest looking little girl with a little kitten. I can't think of any little girl reacting that way. How about you, Lenny? No, I'd be terrified as a little boy or a girl. Yeah, the little girl was sitting there playing along the side of like a creek or a river or something. And this huge hulking man comes out of the bushes. Covered in scars and in a black rotting suit. flesh. Yeah, and she just walks up to him and says, Hi, do you want to play with me? And takes him by the hand. Yeah, takes him by the hand and like leads him over and gives him flowers and shows him how to float the flowers in the lake you or the stream. You know who would have loved this little girl is Simon from The Prophecy. Yeah, he had a no field kidding. day with her. <laughs> I'm going to give you a gift. Can you keep a secret? So she's throwing these flowers into the water and Frankenstein's having a ball. And then he throws all his flowers and he's out of flowers. I want to comment on this moment he has with a little girl because... He's smiling. He's reacting to her kindness. He's showing joy and sensitivity. Granted, he doesn't understand the difference between a floating flower and throwing a little girl into the water. But it shows that he can react to different treatment. And he knows he did something wrong after the fact because he runs off. Yeah, he was really upset when he threw the girl in the water. And I guess he didn't understand that he could go in and get her. You couldn't go in and get why her. Why she drowned was a little baffling to me. Because why didn't she just doggy paddle her way back to the edge? Well, she wasn't that far away. They, I would they cut out. was... They cut out a scene in here where he ties bricks to her feet before he throws her in. She like hit her head when she fell in or something? No, apparently she's just a pet. Well, when he picked her up, she said, you're hurting me. So I'm wondering if he was squeezing her. I'm not sure. Maybe. Yeah, she was screaming, you're hurting me. Well, he mangled those flowers when he threw them in. He like crumbled them into a ball and threw them all in. Well, he just didn't understand. He needed to be taught. I can't help it. I feel sympathy for this monster. It's like he didn't have a parent. So he throws the girl into the water. The girl was actually named Flower. I think that may have been where the confusion came from. He runs away. He's very distressed. Back at the Frankenstein house, there's um, some commotion and they find out that the professor's been killed and that the monster's on the loose. And immediately they think that the monster's in the house. Without any real evidence that he's in the house. We didn't- they heard moaning. Oh, that was that was after. It wasn't okay. the chunky maid getting banged in the storage room. It was definitely the monster. So somehow the monster has made his way to the Frankenstein mansion during the wedding. Without anybody seeing him, Frankenstein makes a beautiful choice here. He decides to lock Elizabeth in her room. So he takes out a key and that he can't locks. Can't possibly go wrong. No, not at all. And the door is locked, but she leaves her goddamn windows open. Well, they were closed. The monster pushed it open, and he could have just smashed it open if he wanted to. Smashed it in with his big flat head that room was just full of big windows 
So they're searching for the monster, and they hear her screaming, and they all rush down there to find out what happened. Nobody can get in the room because Henry, like a giant <laughs> moron, locked the room before he left. And it's not one of those locks that's like has a has a latch that you can latch it in from the inside. He takes out a fucking key, key and locks it. I have never seen a lock that requires a key to open it from either end. But whatever. Not inside a house. No. I've only ever seen this in movies and TV shows. This thing doesn't. This stuff doesn't exist in real life. So they finally get into the room and they find out the monster has just snuck out the window and Elizabeth is lying on her bed fainted. Yeah, I was a little alarmed. I, I was like, oh, what happened? But she just passed out on her bed. The guy with the dead girl walks through town and presents her to, I don't know what this guy is, that the mayor is the mayor, the guy who's officially supposed to be running the town. And the mayor immediately organizes a mob, mob justice. A search party. But there no, was, it's a mob. There was <laughs> even no evidence he said... You know what I thought was kind of weird was he comes up and the police officers drag the mayor out of this like out city hall or hole. whatever. Yeah, and the mayor looks down and he says she's she's drowned. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Why did you bring her here? Why yeah, did you, why bring, did you her bring her here? And then he says, "Well, she's been murdered." And he goes, "Oh, organize a mob. Like, <laughs> let's get, let's no get a mob evidence. together." <laughs> yeah, and then they did ask him like, "Who did it?" He didn't answer. We didn't hear that part or something. But no, they apparently started, seemed to understand that it the was the entire crowd started shouting like they wanted. They were demanding answers. They're like, yeah. "Who did it? Was it you? Was it you? Was it you?" Did they really? Yeah, things got really out of control here. And at some point, back at the Frankenstein house, Frankenstein's talking to Elizabeth, and he tells her, like, I'm putting off the wedding, and I have to go find him. I'm beginning to think this dude just doesn't want to get married. Because <laughs> he's just throwing up roadblocks le- left, right, and center. That's why he made the monster, yeah. Does, <laughs> he named this monster Cockblock. <laughs> <laughs> so the mob goes running off, and they all make sure that they have torches. They light their torches before they set off on their adventure. Yeah, this is a proper mob. And there's a really <laughs> funny thing about the mob. They split it up into three groups, and one of the groups, as directed by the mayor, is being led by Henry Frankenstein. Why is he involved? How much do the townspeople know at this point? Do they know about the monster? They must know about the monster because they knew what they were looking for. Do they know his level of responsibility? No, they didn't seem to. I thought it was going to be important. They were going to blame him for what happened, and they were going to persecute henry frankenstein for the results of this but they don't not at all yeah i fully expected them to turn on him there's this long extended sequence of them searching the hillsides with their lit torches they split up into three groups frankenstein's group miraculously finds the monster and even more strangely he finds it when frankenstein is all by himself he manages to maroon himself in the same uh rocky crag where the monster is hiding so he confronts the monster, and he's no match for the monster. The monster knocks him out. Then he grabs him, picks him up, and carries him off to an, a windmill. The mob sees him. So the monster runs into the windmill, climbs up to the top, carrying Frankenstein, who's injured. Drops him on the ground. He starts squirming around, trying to escape. They have a little physical altercation. Frankenstein's trying to get away. The monster wants to stop him. He grabs onto a, a plank of the windmill. He falls, but he's okay. But since the, the monster's no, now all alone... He was not okay. Did you see the way his spine just completely folded in half on no? that windmill bar? That was a dummy! Exactly. He, when he flings him off of there, and then I he just... I must have blinked at that point. I did not see yeah, that happen. Yeah, the dummy goes flailing like, around. I thought he was dead. I was like, for sure. 
He, he, he just killed around. the doctor. Well, just the distance from the top of the windmill to the ground, I thought, would have killed him. It didn't hit, fall from the top of the windmill. He fell onto one of the oh, blades of the windmill, and the blade and went down. And he down. folded in half. <laughs> yeah, his ankles were touching the back of his head, sure. But he, when he hits the ground, he just stands up and dusts off his shoulders like, oh, well, that folded. was unpleasant. No, he didn't. He was laying there, and everybody like, ran over to him. And okay, but he's, he's not like, dead. Can we agree that he's not dead? I, I thought 100% he was dead. He's not dead. So a contingent of the mob takes him back to town. Instead of a raging mob, they're a healing mob at this point. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of the mob stays to have themselves a little bonfire. Yeah. They burn down the windmill and have a little uh, monster barbecue here. And the monster is fucking losing his shit. I mean, his number one fear is fire. He's trapped in this tower and being burned alive. He's squealing like a cartoon pig. No, he was squealing like Doc Brown. Doc Brown? Oh! <laughs> over and over again, about? he sounded like Doc Brown when he's freaking out and screaming when he gets scared. That little shriek he does. Oh, okay. I really thought this was sad. He didn't deserve it. What deserve? What rights did this if guy have? If you're going to kill him, kill him humanely, but burning to death? That's not fair. He never asked to be born. What is a humane kill? I don't know. That cattle machinery that they used in No Country for Old Men is just like a, a quick... A Captain Bolt pistol. Yeah, that thing. Or the electric chair or lethal injection. You know, he, this guy was born from electricity. I think the electric chair would have just made him more alive. rejuvenated him. <laughs> you can't just electrocute this guy. After the horrible death scene of the poor Frankenstein monster. Poor monster. We're transported back to the Frankenstein mansion. And all of the servants are running to the door, giggling, holding a bottle of wine. Knock on the door. Baron Frankenstein, the father, comes to the door. In the background, you can see Dr. Frankenstein, the scientist, is in bed recovering. And Elizabeth is catering to him. Yeah, she's got her chafing dishes out. She's serving him chicken a la king. (laughs) This was the weirdest way to end this movie. I did not see this coming. They wrap up the movie with this weird little joke about the dad's freaking weirdo wine. The maids come to the door with a bag full of pruno, and they say, (laughs) we thought that Henry might enjoy a drink of this. And they're giggling like this is some kind of joke. And then the dad comes out, and he's poured a glass of the... And he's jovial. He's not somber. which is unlike him. And he's pouring a glass of the wine as if he's going to bring it to his son. And then he decides, nah, I'm just going to have it myself. And that's the end of the movie. I I don't know what to take from that ending. What in the actual fuck? What did you think was the moral of this story? You have a very unique viewpoint. You're very sympathetic to the monster. I guess I do. I think the purpose is to cause the audience to question nature versus nurture. Are you bad because you were born that way? Or are you bad because you were mistreated? I think it's also meant to encourage you to question the limitations of science. Is it good that we can continue to progress and create these things that we don't know how to handle? Or is it bad that we somehow have figured out to create life and we can't handle it and we mistreat it? And so I guess the moral is just to be a responsible, caring person to think about the consequences of your actions. I agree with that to a certain extent, but I disagree with the part about whether doing this kind of thing is moral or what I kept thinking of was, did he cross the line? Is the moral of the story that man shouldn't play God? And I got to totally disagree with that. He has the scene where he's talking to the professor. The professor says something like, this is really scary. And he says, science should be scary. This is how science progresses. This is how we take risks. We do things that are unsafe. This is how we reach the stars. This is how we make huge leaps. And you know what? He's right. 
Maybe he wasn't totally right in 1930s, but as of right now, he is right. Breaking ground like this is how humanity progresses. I agree. So you can't say that man shouldn't play God. That's not, and that's not even what the story conveys. Man shouldn't play God. No, I think it's meant to make you question that. I don't think so, because Henry never suffers any consequences for his actions. I'm sure he gets hurt, but that's a minor consequence. That is out the window in my head. Man shouldn't play God out the window because Henry never suffers for what he did. Not really. Nature versus nurture, they don't really touch on that in this movie. They only have one point of view, that the monster's bad and it has to be destroyed. And they just see that through to the end. But then what of the scene with the little girl? That was just proving his badness. One way or another, he's bad. There was no discussion about, is he bad because he was tortured or is he bad because he has an evil brain? There was no discussion, but when you saw him being gentle and smiling and taking pleasure in the flowers and playing with this girl, how can you just say that he's all bad? Because even when he was trying to be good, he still ends up killing this little girl. Yeah, so it's just that he's broken. Exactly. Monster's bad has to be destroyed. They don't take into consideration why he's bad. They just want to destroy him. I don't have a problem with them destroying him. I think that they probably should have. It's just that they let things get way out of hand. I totally agree. This monster's value was in scientific study, not as a creation of life. Yeah. The moral that I was able to pull out of this is that Henry steps up to take care of his mistake. Henry joins the mob to hunt down the monster, and he faces off with the monster, and he does pay a price. So the moral that I got out of this is one of personal responsibility. You fuck up, you gotta go take care of it. I pretty much was gonna say what Melinda said. About nature versus nurture? Yeah. Well, you made a good point, Martin, about scientific exploration, is that, yes, there are side effects, there are consequences, there are casualties. Just a very, a very basic example would be a lab animal. And you do have to accept that if you're going to support scientific exploration, there's going to be casualties. I mean, even if you look at the space program, sometimes the people die. Monkeys got shot into space. Dogs were sent into space and died up there. Yeah. That's an important part of making new observations, of gaining new knowledge. I guess I just really feel torn. I mean, I just don't feel like it was fair treatment of that monster because he was a living thing. Then what would you have changed to make this movie better? I think if anything, maybe create more of a question as to if the monster is good or bad. So you do agree that there wasn't in the movie? There wasn't a lot. I'm taking a lot out of the scene with the little girl. And also, I just don't think his treatment was fair. So you can't base judgment on his actions because he was treated terribly. Were you thrown into a lake as a little girl? Is that why you're so passionate about this? I did fall into a lake. (laughs) Lenny, what do you think? I don't think I really would mess with it. I don't think there's anything I could really do to make it better. I really enjoyed it. I've watched a lot of classic movies. Sometimes it's like, ugh enough already like please <laughs> what, be really? over i don't i've never experienced that with the classic movie sometimes but with this one i was actually enjoying it and before i knew it i'm i realized it's over and you you forgot how it ended <laughs> no i remember how it ended i just forgot about victor splitting off from the mob if i could have changed this movie i would have liked there to be more questions about morality more of a dilemma involved and more questions about personal responsibility from frankenstein about what he needs to do, what he should do, what he shouldn't do. That, I think, could be the intellectual heart or even the emotional heart of this movie. Questions about whether what he did was right or not and what he needs to do to fix it. Yeah. Was it scary? Conceptually, I I was scared by it. There was one moment where I started to feel some dread and then the movie quickly broke that. The scene in the lab was exciting, but overall, I feel like this is a two- It's a higher two than the other movies we've seen. I think I would even put this above Dr. Caligari, but it's still just not there A two on the scary scale. Yeah. I'm going to go three because I find the concept alarming. 
if we could create and life. reanimate life and that we would probably treat it like shit because that's what humans do or especially Americans. And- Lenny, how about you? What, I, how scary did you think this movie was? That's a one. Not was, scary at all. I was not scared one bit. Not even if I was a little kid. What if you were a little kid at the time? In no. the 30s? What if you were a little kid who had been homeschooled? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing is I, I was exposed to like all those Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th So this movies. this just does nothing for you? No, on the scary scale, no. And even and looking back, I can think back to my five and six year old first grade brain. I would not have been scared. I would have liked it, but I wouldn't have been scared at all. I would have been scared if I was five or six. How would you rate this as a movie, Melinda? I don't know if I'm just excited because we finally saw something that wasn't tedious to watch, but I think I'm going to say four. A four? Oh my <laughs> God, that's really high. Okay, three. No, four. Okay, it's a four. I'll give it a four also because I'm taking into account the time frame in which it was made in 1930. If you look at movies before that, they were just crap. It was like a decorated stage. and It's a play on movie. camera. Yeah. yeah, where this was like... It was cinematic. Yeah, and, and shots like when they're raising the, the examination table up into the oculus of the laboratory. Phantom of the Opera started to go towards full modern cinema sensibilities, but this movie really pushed it over the line, I think. 1925, Phantom of the Opera was also a Universal Pictures production, and oh. technologically, that was way inferior to this movie. Yeah. Although there were way more trapdoors in that movie, so the tra- <laughs> their trapdoor game was on point. Yeah. As far as me, I would say that this movie is a three because I would rewatch it. I would tell people to watch it. Yeah. It's a good, interesting movie. But, you know, it does suffer from the technique a little bit. The storytelling technique left a little bit to be desired. But still, they were able to deliver drama. Mm-hmm. They were able to deliver something I was interested in that I wanted to watch. Yeah. And uh, I liked it. So I gave it a three out of five. All right. So... What else have you guys seen? I watched Ride Along 2. Oh, my God. <laughs> the other day with my kid. And I watched Sisters. All right. So out of those two movies, which was funnier? Sisters was funnier. Yeah. It was, funny. was Ride Along 2 funny? It was funny. I, I there were some there were some genuine laughs in it. I, I like uh, I like Ice Cube. I'm a big fan of his music. <laughs> and I can appreciate that he plays the same character over and over again. I recently saw Room. Well, first I read the book and I became completely immersed in the world of Room. I highly recommend the book. The book is very different than anything else I've read before. And the story is interesting. Um, It's all told from the perspective of a five-year-old boy. The movie was good and it was really nice to see the characters that I had become attached to in the book brought to life. But I still feel like it left something to be desired because they were unable to capture the point of view of a five-year-old. And they didn't even try. I watched the movie Spy with Melissa McCarthy. Mm. That was really funny. That was funny. I like the dick pic scene where she's going through his phone. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It was way better than I expected from Melissa McCarthy. And Jason Statham was really funny in that movie. Oh, yeah. It was just a good, funny movie. I've also been Netflixing. I watched Ang Lee's Hulk. Garbage. That movie was pure garbage. Have you seen it? I've seen it. I didn't like it. No, it wasn't good. Hulk dogs. There's fucking Hulk dogs in this movie. And Nick Nolte? Nick Nolte should only ever be in serious dramas. And speaking of horrible movies, I also watched E.T. The... I was there. Jesus Christ. I don't know why... This movie is loved. It's not good. I hate it. You know, there was there was a period in time where Spielberg was the it guy, where he ruled cinema. And we needed him. We needed him to bring his unique perspective to family movies. We needed his take for Jaws, for Indiana Jones, for The Goonies, for Jurassic Park. But 
He's got nothing left to offer us. I think a lot of people will still go out to the movie theater to see a Steven Spielberg movie. Yeah, based on the value of his his name name. alone. Mm -hmm. But, like, how many people do you know who saw fucking Bridge of Spies or War Horse? Both of those movies were up for Academy Awards. Bridge of Spies was nominated because it was directed by Steven Spielberg, stars Tom Hanks, and it's about World War II. I seriously doubt those people even saw that movie. So, Steven Spielberg, he's done. His time passed in the 90s. I'm not sure about that. Well, you're wrong. For the record, love you, Steven Spielberg. If you like the show, you can support us by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Frightfully Uninformed. Tell your friends about us, give us a good rating on iTunes, or better yet, just leave us a review on iTunes. I want to put it out there. We've decided for episode 10, we are going to review a non-horror movie suggested by our fans. So if you'd like to hear us give the Frightfully Uninformed treatment to any non-horror movie, send us an email or tweet to us or send us a Facebook message and maybe your pick will become the movie we review. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at frightfullyuninformed at gmail.com. You can tweet to us at FrightPod. You can like us on our Facebook page or contact us through Facebook, facebook.com slash frightfullyuninformed. Tune in next episode when we will be watching Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh... One of my favorite stories of all time. So the key takeaways from this is Steven Spielberg sucks balls. Bye. Bye. All right. in Band of Brothers. He was, and he was good. hilarious in that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, There was nothing hilarious in Band of Brothers. You didn't watch Band of Brothers. I hate Band of Brothers. You just hate brothers. I don't like wars. It's the movie uh, How to Lose Friends and Alienate People. He had a little more serious role. You don't like wars, and you didn't like Bands of Brothers, but how do you feel about the band war? (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Lowrider. The band war? Why can't we be friends? Low. Oh no, that was that was somebody else. They're a band. That was Sly and the Family Stone. Oh, the band is called War. I thought you were talking about a band of a war of bands. Yeah, we're gonna tell like the fuck Guns and Roses. What do you think about that? <laughs>